Thank you very much, Dan. If you would, turn again to 1 Corinthians 13, which is in the New Testament, after Acts and Romans, after the Gospels, 1 Corinthians 13. I want to continue thinking through what Paul is talking about here. He doesn't go into a lot of explanations, so we have to go to other passages of Scripture in order to understand the implications of what he's saying, and we want to continue doing that today. In the big picture, God calls us all to trust him and love people. It's one way that the, the Apostle Paul summarizes what life is about, about trusting God, his promises, his word, his truth, and loving the people that God puts in our lives. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about the fact that the love that he calls us to show to people is a patient love and a kind love. And it's always good to ask ourselves how we're doing, you know. Um, When you think about your life this last week or this last month or this last year, it's good to ask the question, have I been patient? Have I been kind? You know, the reality is none of us have been perfectly patient and kind. And so the answer is, no, we haven't been perfectly patient and kind. And yet it's always good to to think about it and ask ourselves, are there people in my life that I find especially difficult to be patient and kind with? Because obviously that's where the application is going to come in. Uh, If we just sit here and act like, you know, patience and kindness is something that somebody else needs to exercise, and we're not going to get a whole lot of out of lot out of this time. But if we really come to it realizing, oh yeah, uh, I do need to grow in patience, I need to grow in kindness, I need to understand what that looks like, then we can pray that God would encourage us and help us as we look at that again this morning. So let me read for us just verses four through eight, just a portion of First Corinthians thirteen, which is one of the great chapters in the Bible on love. And Paul starts in verse 4 by saying, Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This is the word of God. So let me just remind us of what we're talking about in verse 4 when Paul starts off by saying love is patient, love is kind. Patient means long-suffering, which means you can't love as God is talking about loving here unless there's some suffering involved to some degree or another and that you're willing to endure to some degree or another. And then the word kind is about doing good. The Bible exalts kindness in all kinds of ways. In Proverbs 19.22, it says, What is desirable in a man is his kindness. Micah 6.8, which is a very familiar verse to most of us, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And so kindness is very, very important. Uh, from God's perspective, uh, in light of what God thinks is important, because the Bible is God talking about what God wants to talk about. And he talks a lot about kindness uh, for very, very important reasons. 
But it's very easy for us in our day and time to think that to be kind is to be nice and simply avoid conflict. But that's not the kindness that's being talked about here. Um, actually, in Psalm 141.5, it says, Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Do not let my head refuse it. So do you hear that? Uh, we tend to think of kindness as avoiding reproving someone, avoiding uh, wounding someone, smiting someone on the head because it's going to make them uncomfortable. It's going to make them unhappy with us. And yet the Bible says that we should welcome it. We should long for it. We should see it as kindness when people reprove us and say, don't you know that that's, that's not how we're called to live our lives. That's, that's not trust in God, and, and that's not love. It's not the kind of love that God calls us to. We need that. Think about the Lord Jesus. He loved perfectly, and he was kind in everything he did. Read Matthew 23, where he um, addresses the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says over and over to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And at one point he says, You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Now, you ever read those verses and wonder how that sounded? And what was the look on Jesus' face when he said that? And, and you know, was he, you know, how'd that come across? You know, tone is everything, right? We read an email and trying to figure out, okay, what is the tone of this? What, what is the background for this? Well, Paul says in 2 Timothy, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient with wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. So I assume that's what Jesus did, that he corrected those who needed to be corrected, but he did it not being quarrelsome, ready to fight, so to speak, but he did it in kindness, with gentleness, trusting God. And so the most kind thing that Jesus could have done to the Pharisees at that point in time was to call them serpents. That was the most kind thing he could do at that point. What is that? He's reproving them. He's smiting them in kindness. He's saying, don't you know what you're really like? Because if you don't see what you're really like, you're going to bust hell wide open. That was kindness. That was, that was true kindness, doing them good. Did they think Jesus was being nice to them? No. But he was truly, truly being kind. And that's why kindness is graciously desiring and doing good to others. And it's always doing what's right. It's never doing what seems to be kind, even though it's wrong. That's why it says in Psalm 145, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. Righteousness and kindness always go together. God, God never does what's wrong to be kind. He always does what's right in being kind. And so I just want to start off that way to remind us that we tend to think of kindness as being something different than what God is really talking about here. Kindness is truly desiring the good of the other person 
and doing and saying whatever that requires in light of what God tells us is right and wrong. Not doing wrong in order to correct someone, but actually doing it in the way God calls us to. And so I just want to touch on four things briefly this morning in light of our time. But the first thing is this. Just a reminder of where we've been so far. We are to be kind because God is kind. If we ask the question, why do I need to be kind? Well, God has been kind to me and you, and he is kind. And we're called to be like God. And we're to be kind, not in the sense of what the world might say, just be nice to me and just avoid conflict. No, God says he wants us to be kind like he is kind. And the Lord Jesus did not avoid conflict, but he was kind. And he loved people in ways that we will never perfectly love people. If you would turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and we'll look at just a few verses here and at the first part, the beginning of Romans chapter 2, just to try to get a little better idea of what Paul is talking about when he says, um, love is kind, especially in light of God's kindness, where to reflect God's kindness. I don't know if you've ever been through a checkout line and the checker has been rude, unfriendly, unkind. And I don't know if you've ever um, wrestled with how to respond to that checker in the checkout line. Uh, sometimes, you know, I feel like just not saying anything and just moving on. Sometimes I will say, have a good day, but not really care if they do. Why is that? Because it's very hard to be kind to people who aren't being kind to us. We tend to shut down, and we might say what we're supposed to say and do what we're supposed to do, but in our hearts, uh, we're not necessarily desiring anything good for them because we're not receiving anything good from them. That is the natural response, is to not be kind to those who are being unkind to us. And so that's the hard thing. Indeed, when I say hard, there's one place in the Gospels where Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean by hard? He means impossible. He doesn't mean they they really have to work at it. He means they don't get into heaven. And so when I say it's hard to be kind to those who are unkind, I mean it's impossible apart from the grace of God, apart from knowing and seeing the kindness of God to us, and by his grace, extending that to others. In Romans chapter 2, verse, uh, verses 4 and 5, I'll just focus on those two this morning. The context of this is Paul is talking about how everyone, both Jews and Gentiles, are under sin. They've sinned against God. And at this point, he's talking about the fact that the Jewish people tend to think that the Gentiles are really bad, but they're okay, they're, they're good. And the immediate context is uh, Paul saying, you think that you're different than those you condemn. You think you're different than the Gentiles, but you're not. In fact, uh, when you condemn the Gentiles, you condemn yourself because you do the same things. Maybe not in, in exactly the same way, but you still have the same kind of heart, and it just expresses itself differently. And so what he does is he connects their propensity to condemn other people to a failure to see how God treats them. And so he says in verse 4, 
Or do you think lightly of the riches of his, speaking of God's kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? He says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. Now, the Jews could argue, well, the Gentiles aren't very kind to us, and so why should we be kind to them? And Paul's argument is that the reason why we're to show kindness is we are to reflect the God who is kind to us. The stubborn and repentant are those who, in verse 5, are those who harden their hearts and refuse to repent. So what Paul is saying here is, don't don't you know that God is kind to people who are hard-hearted and unrepentant? Therefore, they're not being kind, not in the way that God is kind. In fact, they're rejecting God, they're rejecting the kind God, and they're living their life in the way that they want to live their lives. And so Paul is highlighting the fact that one of the things that we find it hard to do just like the Jews toward the Gentiles, was to be kind toward those that, for whatever reason, we don't see them as being kind toward us. We see them as our enemies. That's why the the Jews viewed the Gentiles as their enemy, not somebody who was seeking their good, not somebody who was being kind to them. And therefore, for all kinds of reasons, they rejected the Gentiles And we're not concerned about loving the Gentiles, showing kindness to the Gentiles. And yet Paul is saying, don't you realize that you're you're more like the Gentiles than you are God? And yet God is still being kind to you, even though you're being stubborn and unrepentant. And he was talking to the Jewish people as well as the Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles are stubborn and unrepentant. And yet God is kind to people who are hard-hearted, unkind, and unrepentant for their unkindness. Next passage I want us to see, look if you will at Luke chapter 6. I just want to put another passage uh, on the table that's very similar to what we see in Romans chapter 2, but Luke chapter 6 toward the end, verses 27 through 36. Um, One time we dropped Annie off at Master's University where she's going to college, And I remember we were leaving, we were leaving her dorm, and um, I just happened to uh, see some uh, two ladies walking toward the door as we were leaving out of the dorm. And so I decided to hold the door open and let them walk through. And so I, I did, and they walked through, and they never looked at me, never acknowledged me, never said thank you, and just walked on by. You know, it is really interesting just to... um, Watch your heart in those situations. Because my heart said, well, I can't believe that they didn't even acknowledge the fact that I held the door for them. I could have just left it closed. What did my heart do? My heart was shutting down and beginning to condemn them. Which is an ugly, ugly thing. But that's what happens. Happens in my heart all day long in various ways. I see my heart responding inappropriately because one of the hard things, not only is it hard to be kind to those who are unkind, 
It's hard to be kind to those who are ungrateful for your kindness. You show kindness. Okay, this person's being unkind. I'm going to be kind to them. Then you be kind to them. They're not grateful for it. Then you find, find it's hard to be kind to them anymore. Isn't that kind of the way it works? Okay, God wants you to be kind to the unkind. I am. They're not, they're not grateful for it. So what more can I do? I'm giving up. And yet, if you look at what it says in verse 36 or 35, I'm not going to read the whole passage for time's sake, but in verse 35 it says, But love your enemies and do good. So love and do good go together. That doing good is what kindness is. Love and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind. Okay, so he said do good, which is the definition of kindness. And that's very, made very clear that what we're talking about here is kindness, for he, God himself, is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Ungrateful means thankless. They're not going around thanking you for being kind to them. The idea of evil is the idea of those who make life painful and difficult. That's the idea that is being portrayed there. And so the reality is that God calls us to be kind because he's kind and he calls us to be kind like he's kind. And he's kind to those who are unrepentant and stubborn, those who aren't kind. And even when he's kind to them and they don't show any gratitude for his kindness to them, he's still kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so the question is, how can we be more like that? We need to be convicted that we need to be like that. We also have to ask ourselves, how can we be more like that? It kind of goes back to what I asked at the beginning. Um, were you kind or were you uh, patient and kind? Uh, if you weren't, and I wasn't perfectly patient and kind, uh, as none of us were, but the question is why? It's important to realize that sin has its reasons. If you think long and hard, you pray for God to help you, he will begin to help you see what your reasoning is for your sin. Because we, we justify our lack of patience with people. We justify our lack of kindness toward people. We have reasons for it. Because that's the only way we can handle it. We have to justify it one way or the other. And so I want to connect this morning with just a little bit of time we have left here, the, the issue of kindness and the issue of justice. It's always interesting to me what our uh, Bible reading at the beginning of our worship services are. And this morning, Raul read from Jeremiah 6, and it's one of those passages where you think, couldn't we have started off with something different? Because it's talking about God's judgment. How's that supposed to be encouraging? Well, the Bible says all of God's word is profitable and necessary and important for us. But what Raul read from Jeremiah 6 is very important in light of what we're talking about here because it's the promise of justice. It's the promise of justice that God will be just, that that people do not get away with things. Now, why is that important? Because it's crucial to our being kind to people, believing that God is a just God. And so let me just um, 
briefly talk about a few other things. The second point is God is so patient and kind that we are shocked when he rightfully exercises his justice. So we'll think a little bit more about God before we get to um, how that applies to us. But the first thing I want to touch on is, you don't have to turn here, but if you read in Second Samuel, there's a story about David deciding to bring the ark from someone's house to a tent that he's prepared in Jerusalem. And they put it on a cart, which they weren't supposed to do, And as the cart is going along, the Ark of the Covenant begins to get off balance, and it looks like it's going to fall off the cart. And a guy named Uzzah reaches out his hand to prevent the Ark from being uh, falling off the cart and falling into the dirt. And when he touches the Ark of the Covenant, which God said, don't, nobody should touch it. They were supposed to carry it with poles and never touch it. But they had made their first mistake in putting it on a cart, and that's one reason why God said not to put it on a cart. So this man, Uzzah, touches it, and God strikes him down. And if you read in the story, it says in verse 7 of Second Samuel 6, And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. So that, think about what's going on there. David is so excited. They're worshiping. They're having a, a moving worship service, singing and rejoicing. And all of a sudden, this happens, and God strikes Uzzah down, and David is mad. Why? Well, there's probably a number of reasons, but it's a good picture of the fact that oftentimes we expect God to always be patient and kind, and it surprises us when he exercises justice. Because you remember, patience is withholding retaliation, withholding justice, and doing what's good, being kind, rather than giving somebody what they deserve. And that's what we see God doing over and over again. R.C. Sproul talks about this. He quotes... um, Another writer, and he he says uh, about this theologian, writing about the seemingly harsh judgments of sin God makes in the Old Testament, this theologian says the most mysterious aspect of the mystery of sin is not that the sinner deserves to die, but rather that the sinner in the average situation continues to exist. R.C. Sproul goes on to say, God is so slow to anger, so patient, so kind, that when his anger does erupt or when he does exercise justice, we are shocked or offended by it. He says, far from being the history of a harsh God, the Old Testament is the record of a God who is patient in the extreme. There's an illustration that R.C. Sproul uses about when he was teaching Old Testament. Uh, Early on in his career, he had 250 students in this Old Testament class, He said at the beginning of the class, I told all of them that this semester, you're going to have three papers you have to turn in on September, October, and November 30th. They have to be five pages long, et cetera, et cetera. And if you turn it in late, you get an F. So everybody knows what the requirements are, what the standards are. And he said on September 30th, uh, most of the students turned their papers in, 225 of them did, but 25 didn't. 
And he said, oh, Professor Spruill, we just had a hard time, you know, making the adjustment to college. Would you have mercy on us? Would you give us a little more time? And he said, okay, give you three extra days, won't give you an F. And they said, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So October 30th comes uh, around, and that time 200 students have their papers turned in, 50 do not. And 50 of them say, oh, Professor Spruill, you know, this was homecoming week, and you know, all these things are going on. Could you please give us a little more time? And he said, okay, this one more time. I'll, I'll give you this, this uh, extension. And they began singing, you know, what a wonderful guy Professor Spruill is, best professor on campus. Then November 30th comes around, and only 100 students turn in their papers out of 250. 150 don't have their papers. And he said they just kind of all waltzed into class assuming that they were going to get extra time. And so he began calling names. Johnson, where's your paper? Don't have it. Okay, he takes out his little black book and he says, F. You know, Nicholson, you know, where's your paper? Don't have it. F. He keeps going down the line and eventually somebody says, that's not fair. He says, so that's you, so-and-so? Yes. Wasn't your paper late last time? Yes. Oh, well, you get an F then too. Anybody else want justice? He went on to say there was a, uh, a musical in a, uh, in, called My Fair Lady in which they sang a song, I've Grown Accustomed to Her Face. He said, well, those students had grown accustomed to my grace. The first time they were late with their papers, they were amazed by grace. The second time, they were no longer surprised. They basically assumed it. By the third time, they demanded it. They had come to believe that grace was an inalienable right, an entitlement they all deserved. He said, I took the occasion to explain to my students, do you know what you did when you said that's not fair? You confused justice and grace. The reality is, we all tend to be like those students. We quickly go from being thankful for grace in various ways or God's kindness to us in various ways to assuming it, to demanding it, to believing that God would be wrong to actually hold me accountable for what he said he was going to hold me accountable for, that God would be wrong to actually do what he said he was going to do if I failed to do what he said I needed to do. And so that's the world we live in. We live in a world that simply assumes the grace of God, assumes the kindness of God. And what does God do? He doesn't simply pull out his black book automatically and start giving F's. Initially, he just continues showing grace. He continues showing grace to people who don't, who assume it, who demand it, and aren't grateful for it. Those are the kind of people we don't want to show kindness to. Those who assume our kindness, who are ungrateful for our kindness, we are eager and ready to show them justice. And yet God God is so very, very patient with us. Well, two things to kind of conclude and help us to apply what we're talking about here. It is the faithful exercise of God's justice that frees us to be patient and kind. If you look at Romans 12, God's justice is important. On the one hand, 
the Old Testament is an amazing testimony to the patience and kindness of God, so much so that we're surprised whenever he actually exercises justice, when he actually exercises some kind of punishment for sin. We're we're shocked by it, we're offended by it, we're surprised by it because we assume it, we think it's wrong in some sense, and yet God continues on uh, being kind and patient with people. And yet... The reality is that it's knowing that this God who is so incredibly patient and kind is also just that actually is meant to free us to be kind. That's what um, Paul says in verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. He says in verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. In verse 19, he says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The way we become more patient and kind is we have to move our eyes off of people and put them on the promises of God. Put our eyes on God and what he's promised. And what does Paul say is God's promise? Vengeance is mine. I promise you... I will make sure that justice is served, which means I don't have to worry about exercising justice. I don't have to worry about giving people what they deserve. That's God's job. God promises to do that. And instead, it says in verse 20, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Your enemy is anybody who does something that you don't like or that offends you or that sins against you. Um, anybody in that category. It's interesting in First Peter 2, our Lord Jesus himself is a great illustration of trusting God for justice so that you love those who are persecuting you and those who are sinning against you. It says in First Peter 2, uh, verse 23, And while... Being reviled, he, speaking of Jesus, did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now, in my Bible, the word himself, entrusting himself, is in italics because it's not in the Greek uh, text. And so it could just as easily be translated, but kept entrusting it to him who judges righteously. Entrusting what? and trusting the reviling that he's receiving, and trusting the suffering that's being inflicted on him. He did not revile those who reviled against him. He did not threaten those who uh, caused him to suffer. Instead, he entrusted the righteous judgment of that to God. And he loved. He was kind. He was gentle. He was patient. All the way to the cross. And so God says, if you want to be patient and kind, you have to give up being God. And one of the roles of God is exercising justice. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a place for justice in our government. God has set that up and all that sort of thing. We're not talking about that. But we are saying on a personal level, God says, you need to trust me. You need to trust me for Justice, And that brings me to the last point, because this is very, very important as we wrap things up here. 
It is the gracious exercise of God's justice on the cross of Jesus that frees us from the fear of his patience and kindness ending. The cross comes into play very, very importantly in all of this because the cross is very much about justice. In fact, the only way the cross can be about mercy is if it is about justice. Uh, You may have noticed at the end of Romans chapter 2, Paul was talking about the fact that um, he was saying, um, don't you, he said, don't you, uh, do you think lightly of the riches of God's kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? And so he's telling us, Jews and Gentiles, that don't you recognize that God is being patient and kind with you? The question is, will that go on forever? He says, no, it won't go on forever. Because he says, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, which means at some point, God's patience and kindness will end. Unless someone has taken the just punishment for our sin. Nobody gets away with anything. Someone has said that in the USA, uh, there's a 40% chance or so that if you commit a murder, you will never be brought to justice. 40% chance. That's why a lot of people do what they do. They think there's a very uh, small chance, at least 50-50 chance that I might be able to get away with this. The Bible says nobody gets away with anything. Nobody. You may get away with it under our justice system. You may get away with it in this life. But God says you will not get away with anything. And that's a terrifying thought. It's a terrifying thought for me to think that the things I've done, that God knows them perfectly, and I will not get away with a single thing. The good news, though, is that God has provided a way, not for me to get away with anything, but for that justice to be satisfied without me bearing that wrath. And that's what the cross is all about. Um, In Romans 3, if you want to turn there, you can, in verses 19 through 26, just very briefly, um, Paul is highlighting the fact that in the Old Testament, and even at that time, you could ask yourself, is God really committed to justice? Because Uh, he didn't judge people very often in the Old Testament. And the way Paul characterizes it here is he calls it forbearance. So if you look at verse 24, excuse me, 25, it says, speaking of Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propitiation is a wrath-bearing, justice-satisfying death. This was to demonstrate his righteousness or the justice of God, Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. The cross was necessary. God had not judged people according to what they deserved. And yet, he sent his son to demonstrate that he was not a God who just overlooked things and didn't care about justice. He said, uh, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith 
in Jesus. So the Old Testament is God's ongoing patience and kindness to sinners. But what about justice? And Paul says the cross is God's answer to the question, what about justice? The answer is my son will bear the justice, will bear the wrath that you deserve. The question is whether or not you will receive that as something that you will entrust yourself to, or will you basically say, I'll take my chances with God giving me what I deserve? There's only two options. We either trust in the payment that Christ has made, the justice that Christ suffered on the cross, or we say, I'll take my chances and trust that God will give me what I deserve and I think I'll make it. I think I'll be okay. The reality is that's not the way it works. But the good news is that God is merciful. And that's exactly what Raul prayed after reading that passage on justice. He said, but you're a God of mercy. You're a God of mercy. He doesn't set aside his justice, but he provides a way for us to escape that just penalty through faith in Jesus. If you would, just bow with me in prayer, and let's wrap up this morning. Just bow with me, and I'd like to ask a a few questions as we close for us to consider, all of us individually, before God. First of all, do you see God as always good and patient and kind to you? That's the basis for our being kind to others, is actually seeing God being kind to us. Do you believe the good news that Jesus lived the life you could never live, died the death you deserve to die, and then rose from the dead? That he actually bore the justice that we deserve for our failure to be patient and kind? Are you resting in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, the one who cleanses you from your sin and the one you're looking to to lead you in this life? Are you hoping in God for all you need and desire? Or are you looking to other people for that, which makes it hard to be patient and kind to them? Are you pursuing love by obeying God's word? Are you seeking to be kind and patient like God defines it in the Bible? Are you consciously and prayerfully seeking to be kind, to do good to all those who are in your life? Not just those who are easy to be kind to, not just those you want to be kind to, but to all those in your life. And finally, are you trusting God to fulfill the demands of justice while you show gracious kindness to those who sin against you? Are you trusting God's promise to be just, either through the cross or through the final judgment? No one gets away with anything. Justice will be served. The question is, how will it be served? Through the cross or through the final judgment? Father, we just lift our hearts and lives up to you. We desire not to think lightly of your kindness to us. Help us not to think lightly of your kindness and patience with us individually. Help us to... See your kindness in sending your son 
to die in our place, to suffer in our place, to bear the just wrath that we deserve. And help us to receive the Lord Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. And help us to rest in you, Lord Jesus, and what you've done for us. And help us to put our hope in you, Father, so that we're not looking to people to meet our needs, but we're looking to you. And may we trust you to do what you've promised to do, to satisfy justice either through the cross or through the final judgment. And may we be free, may we be free to be patient and kind with people more and more. Grant us a greater, greater grace to be like you. Help us, Father, to see the people in our lives that we're not being patient and kind with. Help us to repent. Help us to seek you for the grace we need. And help us to love like you love and to find you to be sufficient to enable us to do that. And to actually cause us to be even more happy in you as we do that. Father, we just thank you for your word. Please apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.